Hello, this is Hope, and you're listening to Covert Castaway. Welcome to my weekly diary of what I learn and how I cope with transitioning to life as a liveaboard cruiser. It's time. The boat is ready. After over two years in the making, the real fun is about to begin. In today's podcast, I start the first of a two-part series where I sit down with my husband as we go through the handover checklist and all the possible things to look for as we take possession of the boat in just one week. Just like waiting for the arrival of a baby, here we are, anxiously anticipating labor pains that go along with the boat handover from the factory and the impending afterbirth of commissioning. Sorry to be so graphic, but I believe the description aptly fits the emotional state we are facing. Just a couple weeks ago, we were sent photos from our broker of the boat on the day it officially became a boat, which is when the hull and all its internals get connected with the top sides. Like proud parents gooing over our first ultrasounds, that's when we realized in horror that the wrong generator had been installed. How did we know? Well, because it was peeking out of the engine room, sitting there naked. So the chaos begins before the bun is even out of the oven. A listener sent me a message recently asking for tips on negotiating the best price of a boat. And my advice was not to focus on negotiating for the price of the boat, but negotiating for fail-safes and contingencies for getting the actual boat you ordered, which this little generator story fully illustrates. Well, not so little since it's one of the most expensive systems on the boat in the first place. But who's complaining? Again, of all the problems to have, I'll pick this kind of problem any day, but I'm just saying. So here is part one of the series of my husband and I going over the handover checklist and all the things we'll be looking for as we take possession of the boat. I hope you enjoy it. And so does he, since it's his debut performance in the land of podcasting. Okay, so we're getting ready to go through the handover checklist. Uh, Since you're going to go over there on Friday, and we need to be aligned on what to look for. We know there's been a lot of issues on different things, so um, we got this checklist from someone in our Facebook group. I guess we can just dive right in and go through it. How's that sound? Sounds fantastic. Good. Okay, so the first item, mostly, so the whole point of this is just to start with the pre-launch. So on the arrival day, they want us to have the entire underwater areas carefully inspected, limited time between the arrival at the marina and the launch. So basically they bring the boat from the factory over to the marina and it's during that time you're supposed to kind of look at the bottom of the boat and inspect everything. So the first thing is inspect all the edges of the keels, particularly where the keel rests on the support block. So this has been an issue and um, I don't know, how, how big of an issue do you think that is? Uh, that's a major issue. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think in, in this person's case, the boat was put in the water. I don't know if they were present or not, but for whatever reason, they were still in La Rochelle, took the boat out, and then realized there was basically a hole. <laughs> in the bottom so, of the keel, yeah. <laughs> there was some... some yeah, some... There From was, where the gel yeah. coat cracked or what? So, yeah, there was not even a crack. It was like some missing gel coat slash fiberglass or no idea Hmm. and then uh so that was so obvious that it's hard to imagine that 
it was missed. So that was, uh, yeah, hard to understand what exactly happened. So that'll be important to look at. And so do they do the undercoat treatment? At this at this time, that wouldn't be done, right? So the paint. The- no. So the boat um, before the the boat leaves the factory, they'll do the bottom paint. So by the time it gets to the pre-launch, it's basically putting the mast up, doing kind of inspection. So the underpaint will already be on. Yes. Okay. That will be done before the boat leaves the factory. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's going to be an important thing for you to look at. So yeah, I think so. in this case, it definitely, I mean, the advice we clearly got is be there, take pictures, take video, make sure that you look closely at everything underwater and obviously above too, mm-hmm. but at least we're looking at the the hull here. Inspect propellers and line cutters. Well, in our case, our propellers are like the Volvo, standard Volvo, so that's part of the FP um installation but the um the line cutters the line cutters are added so they'll probably be removed and then what we've heard is in the case of the volvo propeller there is some kind of a pin or something to make sure it locks the propeller in place otherwise if it's not put in place properly um then you could lose the propeller so i don't get it because because the boat comes over and it's getting ready to get put in the water the propellers are already on it but the line cutters aren't on it Mm -hmm. and the broker's commissioning agent puts on the line cutters so do they take it back out of the water do they put a diver underneath the boat and put them on or do they do it before it goes in the water no yeah ideally all this is coordinated. So FP finalized the work that they have to do uh, in order to put the boat in the water. And then at that point, it's owned by the owner and uh, and it goes into the hands of the commissioner. However, uh, in order to have, not have like a sequential steps because the for the commissioning, they have to intervene, for example, on the mast. So it's easier for them to do some work on the mast or to do some work under, you know, on the propeller to add the, the line cutters or, or things like this. So FP allows part of the commissioning process to start before they basically finalize. So it's this work. weird gray area, right? Because it's like it, it's your boat, but it's not really the commissioning agents mm. yet. But he's doing work on it, so yeah. It could yeah, be and tricky. I and I don't know if it's if it applies to all dealers. Um, so that's something, mm. if somebody were to buy a new boat, um, I think it would be important to understand the process, the handover process from, from in this case, from FP to the owner, but it goes into the hands of the commissioning process. And because the commissioning company works with many on many, many FP boats, and they have this relationship that, you know, they have this agreement that they can both work on the boat uh, while FP is finishing when, what they finish typically in, in the port at La Rochelle. So if you have a smaller dealer, it would be interest for anybody who wants to buy, um, it would apply to FP Lagoon or any, any boat in La Rochelle or anywhere, for the matter of fact, is um, to understand the handover process and, and to make sure that whoever is going to do the commissioning is able to do some work before the boat is put in Mm. the water because otherwise you have to take it out. Or in previous cases, what we've heard in in La Rochelle, they would 
in order to save time and money to not take the boat to lift it out of the water, they will uh, put it on the ramp and wait for the tide to go down. But oh, that God. creates some other problems because now you know the boat <laughs> is at an angle on the keels and then it and creates all the weights some cracks. on the keels and then that creates cracks. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so that would be something that that's going to be important for us to be there. I mean, or for me to be there and to kind of to watch all this and make sure all the work is done at the right time. But for anybody buying a boat to really spend time to understand, um, yeah. you know, how the how logistics around that. Yeah. Okay. The next item is the underwater options like lights and extra through holes. So we got these really cool blue lights. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how many we ordered. Uh, four. Do all four go on back or the, how, how do we do it? Yeah. Uh, I think it's two and two, right? Two and Off two the at the stern. Yeah. Okay. And then extra through holes. What's that? What's that? So in our case, uh, we got the fresh water um, heads direct from the uh, from FP, but we've decided to add the basically salt water intake for each um, head. Uh, so in this case, there will be three holes that will be added. Three more holes. Three more holes. Yeah. So we can flip between salt water and fresh water, uh, mostly when we're on the passage to save water or... Okay. So there'll be, yeah, so there will be through holes and the lights. So do you have to look at those from just the outside or you have to crawl somewhere and look at them from the inside too? Well, in this case, they're making sure that they do the three holes. Have them done. Yeah. And, you know, and after that, I mean... It's just so bizarre. Yeah, you would think all this would be... You wouldn't have to look for it. In our case, we had initially decided we will do just fresh water everywhere. I mean, that seems to be the trend for everybody because it takes care of the smell and deposit for the in the tubes for the head. Um, but it's also important to not just rely on that because you if your water maker short, is right. like not functioning when you're on a passage, then you know you have big problems too. So initially, yeah. we thought we would just do one, but. And we thought, well, why not do all of them? Because when we will turn those to salt water, it will be during a passage, and that's when we will have most likely some additional crew. So they'll reuse, you know, yeah. their heads too. Yeah. So. And I don't mind not having the smell. So. Yeah. Uh, this is another one. Inspect the bottom paint. Now we've been talking and going back and mm. forth about copper. There's pros and cons. Um, one of the big cons is the application. So where are we with that? Yeah, so we know a few other boats in the group who have copper coat and they're very happy with it. If if the application process is done right, especially for boats we're going to be sailing in remote places where it might be challenging to take the boat out of the water. Or clean the bottom. Uh, yeah, so it's probably a good idea. And if you're going to keep the boat for like 10 years, it's probably a good idea to invest the time and money to do it, to do copper coat. Uh, the product, I don't think there is an issue with the product, but what is important is one is the minimum temperature because you have to apply um, four coats within a day. And the timing is quite critical. So the the documentation says you need a minimum of eight degrees Celsius uh, outside. Um, but talking to the reseller for copper coat in France, uh, he says it's more twelve to fifteen degrees Celsius. 
So our boat is coming out in February. Um, the temperature, the average temperature in La Rochelle is, is below that. Uh, it could be that it's like three, four days that are, and, and on top of that, you cannot have rain for like 72 hours. Um, oh my gosh. So you basically have to have the boat out of the water for a period of time and then have a right proper window uh, to get the work done. So in February, that's almost impossible. You'll have to be really lucky. If you wait until April, May, then you have more chances. So... Um, it gets a little complicated in our case. We've we've been trying to do copper coat, um, get it done once, get it done right, and um, save headaches and money later. Right now, we haven't found the solution, so most likely we're going to use the default bottom paint um, that is offered by our dealer, and then in two years from now, we'll reconsider, uh, depending where we are to uh, switch maybe to copper coat. Yeah, so what's crazy is our broker doesn't want to do it and won't guarantee the work. Mm -hmm. The broker's commissioning agent, he can do it, but won't guarantee the work and he doesn't necessarily potentially want to do it because of the time it takes. So that's the issue. Yeah, I think talking to the reseller, it seems standard practice that they, because there's so many variables. The paint reseller, you mean? Yes, um, that it's not out of the ordinary, that uh, they will not basically provide a warranty on the work to be done. It's more, if you're going to do it, um, I would say, make sure um, the minimum temperature is there the day it's going to be done? Make sure there is no rain in the next 72 hours. Uh, make sure the products are coming directly from copper coat, so it's not some kind of, you know, one-off version that's been diluted or something. Make sure that you've read the documentation and you understand the steps, and make sure that the workers um, know what there's doing. enough. Well, yeah. they know what they're doing, but more importantly, you have enough people, enough labor. Uh, because you have quickly, to apply yeah. okay. one coat, wait to dry, apply to another coat, and, and do four in a row. Um, so that's that's a lot of variables compared to some regular bottom paint. So that's what makes it a little tricky. Yeah, So and, and it seems like the bottom paint ha- has had um, quality issues. I mean, even on this checklist, it, uh, they call out, be sure top of rudders and hole above are painted. You know, so like... Yeah. Is it people just don't know how to apply it properly or, or, or what? Just Even just the regular bottom paint? Well, I think uh, there are mistakes, obviously, that can be done. Um, in, in The bigger one, typically, is the, the boat is resting on wooden blocks. And so all the bottom paint is applied. Uh, but uh, we've heard of an example where the boat was taken out uh, of the... Uh, was put in the water and the, where the blocks were under the keels, no paint was applied. Oh my gosh. So, so <laughs> like, that's something where, yeah. yeah, the boat gets lifted and then they have to apply the, the layers, the different coats there. So in the rush to try to get the job done, um, yeah. So the bottom line is you want to be there uh, yeah. uh, if you can. Okay, so and then this last thing, uh, pre-launch, is about the sail drive and hold joint and the fact that the sail drive should have prop speed instead of bottom paint. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? Well, in our case, I forgot the name, but um, 
it seems like the standard a little bit like i mean it's like prop speed everybody likes it i've heard it's hard to source in france or in europe uh, or dealer um will apply a different brand um so uh but you want some special protection for the uh, uh the propellers, propellers. yeah and, and i think it it the concern is it's impossible to know the underwater components, what's been applied after it's been put in the water. I mean, how would you tell if it's been well, applied the prop or not? speed, I know the color is kind of yellow, so I don't know if it's in the water for like a week or more, you if you can tell it. or not. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, again, be there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then after the boat's launched, uh, there's a bunch of items, but it says here, you know, that there, uh, an FB team will send a quality control team out to the boat. They'll mark all the areas, which we did see when we did the tour. Mm-hmm. We saw the different paint. I guess um, FP puts down blue paint and the commissioning uh, agent puts paint, down uh, yellow. Tape. Or tape, sorry, the mm. painter's tape. So one is blue and one is yellow, uh, one for the commissioning agent and one for FP. Um, mm-hmm. So we did see that. And it looked like there was a lot of gel coat things that mm-hmm. needed to be fixed. I don't know if it was scratches just in the manufacturing process or what, but it looked like that was uh, that was going on. Yeah. Um, okay, and then the other things, and, and I think they send pictures, right? I think they were saying you'd get like 100 pictures of... The, in our case, the company doing the commissioning, they have their own checklist and they will send pictures for all the defects. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And then, um, okay, so let's just go down the items. There's a bunch of electrical items first. Electric outlets, um, are they all there and working? So the boat comes standard with a number of electric outlets, and then you can add new ones. So that's mm-hmm. something to look at. Um, does your AIS work and validate the information? Mm-hmm. Uh, VHF work with MMSI number installed. What does mm-hmm. that even mean? Uh, you basically have a, a unique number for your boat. So when you call, and then uh, so I think if it's recorded on the VHF, and then they I can see. they can see. Uh, I forget what it stands okay. for. Test Garmin functions. Get training. Make sure all readings are calibrated, um, and test all electronics. Have your dealer demonstrate that each item works. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for some of these, uh, obviously the electrical outlets uh, that can be done at the dock, um, but to test the Garmin functions, uh, you have I to mean, go out. Yeah, you can yeah. obviously test uh, some basic stuff, but you need to go out to get them calibrated, and then test it. Right. Um, have them walk through electric panel fuses and breakers. Yeah, and so that's another advice we got. I mean, even if FP goes through their checklist, and you would imagine that's good enough, <laughs> but then the commissioning company have their own checklist and they find other issues. But all this is done uh, basically in the port, uh, on the dock, uh, at the dock, or uh, before the boat is being launched. But um, the advice we got is also to, to hire somebody who's uh, knowledgeable with the boat, and um, and then basically take them out on the water um, and go through the systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's so that's something idea. that is also part of our agreement with our dealer that they will come on board and they'll spend three or four days with us. The problem is you don't want 
this to be done just before you leave La Rochelle because you'll... They can't fa find and fix yeah, that. Yeah. The, the number one lesson, I think, is don't leave La Rochelle until you have everything at least major resolved. And uh, so the earlier you find the problems, the more times you can negotiate with FP, with your dealer, with the commissioning company, who is supposed to fix it, when, and so forth. So, so it's worth probably spending the money to have somebody who is not linked to your dealer and commissioning company and who looks at it from a different angle. It's probably money well spent because then you can identify a problem, get it resolved, and, and then when you leave La Rochelle, um, you have a peace of mind. Yeah, and this is so crazy because like, I think when we were buying a new boat, you know, we were weighing between the pros and cons of a new boat versus mm -hmm. a used boat. And one of the things with the used boat was, oh, by the time, you know, you refit everything and you pay for everything, you know, you've, you've basically spent the same money as buying a new boat. But the difference with a new boat, this is what we thought in the beginning, right, was, oh, you know, you buy the new boat and you take the new boat and it's done and then you, things are under warranty. And so now we're having this conversation about, you know, finding and fixing problems before we leave. It literally just came out of the factory. So I'm still struggling with that. Yeah, it's it's known that new boats, um, you know, have problems. Um, the good news is, you know, to troubleshoot it is easier because nobody has messed with like wiring or right. Like you're not trying to undo some terrible. Yeah, thing. and then so and then they know, you know, if the boat was just handover. Uh, so it's it's coordination between in the different parties, mm -hmm. but. They know that they have to fix that. Um, so it's, yeah, if you buy a used boat from a single owner who has been taking care of his boat like a baby, then that's probably a good deal because a lot of stuff has been added. It's been maybe done well, but, you know, it's hard to find. Yeah. And uh, to find the boat you want in the location you can visit at the time we can visit with for the price, the price you want. So you can yeah. get lucky, and that's a good one. And if you want to, if you don't have time to deal with this, then the new boat still is, you know, we've heard from people, and we've been, um, Star Horizon, yeah? We've been cruising for a long time, and, and so I think they what they realize is, you know, with a new boat, they had less problems in general. They're fixing their boat less than other people, yeah. yeah. And so I guess fixing you your boat less is a good thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think the first year you have to expect to just troubleshoot and yeah. fix problems. But hopefully, yeah, you spend a little yeah. less time. Well, I hope the stand-up shower is worth it because that's what sold me on the boat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, it says solar panels are charging properly. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, and, and I think what's not on this list that we should probably add is checking the extra batteries. Um, so maybe, so the solar panels, so how many do we have, four? Five. Five. Five solar pa panels. Five controllers. Five controllers. So yeah, to make sure they all charge. And about batteries, we get one from the factory. You can buy one X. So I think if I remember, you get four by default. You can add one as an option, maximum. But only one. Only one. Yeah. And then you can add additional batteries um, after that through the commissioning process. So, so we bought one from the factory. And, and one from the commissioning and agent. two from the commission two from the commission yeah. so we have a total of seven. seven but we've heard people who had bought like six or something one was from the factory one from the commissioning and somehow there was one battery missing 
and they were trying to get it after the facts from FP, and that was a nightmare. So yeah, to yeah, count your batteries. we've also heard like people have gotten what they thought were brand new batteries put on the boat because they paid for extra batteries, and it turns out somebody else's name was on them. So were they recycled batteries? Were they discarded batteries? Were they old batteries? I mean, were they new batteries that maybe somebody, because by default, if you order an FP boat, you will get the AGM batteries. You don't have an option to select lithium batteries. So if somebody, you know, maybe got the baseline, you know, because it comes out with batteries, like you don't have a choice not to have them. right? Yeah. So yeah. you come with four batteries and some people decide to switch to lithium. And in this case, you know, I don't know if they put the name of the person on the battery, but there will be four brand new batteries that, you know, they Yeah, put. but if the battery had been sitting there for, I don't know, however long, doesn't that drain the battery? anyway and then you end up with like batteries on your boat that don't die at the same time i mean that's kind of yeah i mean you don't know if there might have been a cycle of charge or who knows on on this so yeah um (laughs) oh boy okay so that's batteries anything else on the solar we need to check for like the connections or the wiring or are they going to make sure they hide all the wires do they know where they go (laughs) where we want them yeah so the we hope because the boat has been out now for like two plus years and and so uh, we hope that the commissioning company over time has found ways to do a proper installation to hide wires but yeah to not assume that they're going to try to do the most beautiful job because their job is to get it done and functioning so we're uh, gonna, so you're going to have to be there when they're starting to set up for the extra solar. For solar panels from FP, you have the option to get those three small solar panels, but you can also opt to not get them. Okay, so we so, didn't get those. So okay. for in our case, they have to build a frame and for five solar panels at the back and uh, with some support. That's what they will have to build and then they'll have to do the install the controllers the five of them somewhere in the boat and um and then for the batteries we already know that uh, on one side you can put uh five batteries uh i guess you could from what we've heard you could also put a six battery but uh it's pretty small again so in some cases they put the six battery on the other side, which is not optimum because now you have like the batteries are far away from each other and you know, uh-huh. how far is the controller from the from the batteries or so. So in our case, because we have seven, probably they'll put two on one side, five on the other. And um, so, yeah. And then the, the configuration of the controllers to probably check that, you know, in our case, we have AGM batteries, but they can be configured for different types of batteries. So it's probably a good idea to also go through the configuration and making sure that uh, everything is uh, configured properly. Okay. So you'll have to be there to check, make sure they're going to set up the wiring right so we don't have wires hanging off the boat. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. And then... Um the batteries and then is there something to check to make sure don't they set up a separate battery for like the starter battery yeah yeah that's come standard that comes standard yeah. okay uh, run all acs for hours when the first town has came out i think two of the acs um didn't have proper ventilation and then when you run it for a long time then the the ac will freeze so they definitely uh, re-engineered that. So I think they, uh, we haven't heard 
lately of people who've gotten. So you just have, we need to add an item in here to check for whatever um, ventilation. Yeah, to probably added. check that the where they were supposed to add ventilation. I mean, you will hope it's now standard, but to check that at least they have ventilation in the right places. And uh, but I think the 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 reason why it was written here on this checklist for hours was because after a while then if there is no proper ventilation then the, the ac happen. will yeah. will freeze okay so it might not be necessary to run it as long but okay to check the ventilation openings yeah oh man okay the next item generator so we were so excited because we got mm -hmm. pictures from our dealer about our boat after it became a boat which is when the bottom part and the top part get connected together as one boat mm -hmm. and in the picture we both looked at the picture we're like what kind of generator is that because we ordered an onan mm -hmm. um or we thought we ordered an onan and instead there was a different generator mm -hmm. that's something we still need to resolve um they're offering to re our dealers offering to replace it but the concern is um if the factory doesn't put in the generator if it's done after the fact then the um, the commissioning agent has to remove the engine in order to replace the new generator, which can cause all kinds of other issues because now they're they're messing with the boat. So we've been yeah. going back and forth on which option we think is the best option for that. And Basically, when the sauna came out, I think by default it was maybe the owner, but soon after that, FP started to um, carry the Fisher Panda. So the Fisher Panda is a, it's a much smaller generator uh, for the same amount of kilowatt. I think it's like 12. Smaller size. Smaller yeah. size, yeah. And it's it's framed in the, in the box, so it's quiet and it's cooled. And like Which it's I like. I like that idea, yeah. So compared to the Onan, that is um, kind of an old-style diesel engine, and it's more rectangular, kind of a large large footprint. Loud, footprint. yeah. Louder. So, but they are known to be more reliable. Service worldwide is better, and to fix it yourself in remote places, if you have the parts, is not as challenging as as the Fisher Panda. So, it's so kind of like working on a, an old Ford truck versus a you know BMW sports car. I imagine maybe, like there's just more yeah. stuff to deal with. Yeah. yeah. So, so in our case, yeah, we either. They, they will have to move the engine block to move, give space to remove the new generator to put the other new generator instead and and you know it seems like that's something that, that can be done uh, oh, man, but that just gives me just a, a stomach ache thinking yeah about that. you have a brand yeah. new boat and you're already like moving Messing the engine and and then if something happens later later on with the engine and FP finds out why well, it will be Volvo, but if there was some vibration or something, who knows? Like who is then responsible? So and what else can go wrong? I mean, uh, the wiring they say they can be reused, but so uh, we don't know what uh, final decision we're going to make. We're still in discussion with our dealer. Okay, generator. So that's that issue. Uh, shore so test shore power connections, test all nav lights, anchor lights, etc. Interior lights and sockets. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically all the, all the lights and shore power. Lay your outdoor cushions out and line up the tabs. Oh, interesting. Um, so there must be some fastener tab issues. Mm -hmm. um, put on the textiline and canvas and check all the fasteners. 
Yes, somebody had said the fasteners um, broke loose or were poor quality, so they actually um, had the fasteners to the out to the outside cockpit tent um, completely replaced, which is bizarre since it's a brand new mm-hmm. tent. Um, check all galley equipment, make sure freezers freeze, etc. So that's for the galley. Check for uh, other damage. So it looks like people have had other floor damage where it looked like FP tried to fix it, um, but the issue was made worse by the way they tried to fix it. So, I mean, they're going to have to buff out all that stuff and make it brand new, right? Yeah, and then to, I guess, record, again, take pictures and video of of when FP still owns the boat... After the commissioning. And after the commissioning, because there are workers coming on the boat with their toolboxes, their tools. And and so the advice we've been given is try to protect all the, the counters. Put like, padding and cardboard is what people Yeah, have blankets said. And, and try to put, you know, to protect the boat as much as possible. But you'll want to be able, if there are any scratches, uh, you'll want to be able to show that, hey, when FP hand over the boat, then there was no scratches in this So area. it's our responsibility to also to not only protect the surfaces, but if they're damaged, be able to... To be able to have a record, finger. yeah, of mm-hmm. whose, whose job it was. So I guess they don't come with anything protected. So I don't know how you're going to get cardboard. Yeah, I think, to- I think they probably do something. Yeah. Uh, but probably not as much as what you would want uh, them to do. So I guess one option will be uh, requesting that they do this, and and if not, then find some blankets. Yeah, yeah. and then stuff. just just make sure that uh, yeah, it's applied okay. and, and it's going to stay there during the whole commissioning process. Okay, uh, make sure you have all the keys, remotes, and spares, and do they all work? Yeah, and, and I think I remember an advice to also on the keys uh, for the sliding door, there is a number. Um, I forgot if it's on the handle on the key. So, again, maybe to save whatever number, if you were to lose the key, uh, oh, okay. then to probably call FP or somebody to try to get another set. Make sure you have all your fenders, winch handles, blocks, and dock lines that come with FP and any of the sale packages you got. We see some boats that, you know, there are certain things that are should be have, should have been installed on the boat and it's missing. So it's just to take the time to go through, you know, in, if you have the comfort package or whatever package you Oh, go you through picked, line by line, yeah. Yeah, and make sure all these items are on the boat. And, um, yeah, could be that they forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, get spare kits, engines, outboard generator, water maker, screws, caps, etc., so does that come from FP or the commissioning agent or the channelry or what? Um, our dealer has a line item where we can get um, a spare kit for the generator. I don't remember any other spare kits for engine and the outboard and and others. So, um, so yeah, it's probably something that talking to the commissioning company or talking to like Volvo in our case uh, or go online and find exactly what some we need. kits mm-hmm. and and to probably buy you know at least two of them uh, over time you'll probably end up using them anyway mm-hmm. 
Okay, go through uh, order options list and make sure everything's installed. Okay, that's obvious. Uh, salon table operates cor correctly. We just, yeah, so we, mm -hmm. so our table, um, we got the coffee table size. Uh, we asked that it not be fully drilled into the floor, so we'll see if that mm -hmm. ends up happening or not. In case we want to create, get a different kind of a table um, that's taller, so we we still haven't really thought through that really well. Like we don't have additional options. So. Yeah, we couldn't come up with a good solution because we think it's good to have a regular size table in the salon in case you know it's Something. cold and windy yeah. uh, outside, but what they were offering um, seemed to not fit what we what we, we want. wanted yeah. so you know so what are we gonna do are we gonna are we gonna ask them to drill it down and then just wait maybe until the following year or the following season to do deal with that or uh, well I think um, we'll um, there's we've seen uh, at least one owner have who has the salon, the coffee table, and then basically came up with a design of something that is foldable that can be um, installed over the coffee table. So I know, but he's he's getting that put on in Tunisia, right? Yeah. So I mean, we can't like just sail across Biscayne. No, no. with like a coffee table flopping around no <laughs> no yeah if we if we leave once we'll we, we need to secure the the table or if we if before we leave we end up finding a table we didn't want the electric the electric table sounds good because it can be like a coffee table it can be a regular table it can be uh, it's rotated. just junky looking it's it's very expensive nobody was has it has been really fully happy with it so yeah. it was not the, the worth the price and um, so either we'll find some other solution that we haven't seen so far uh, or we'll secure the the coffee table and later on we'll we'll come up with something um, but for now at least yeah maybe we'll like the open space yeah, maybe. <laughs> I know a lot of this seems really tedious and tactical, but we wanted to share just a snapshot of all the decisions we're making and major considerations we have as we're going through this handover process. You also heard in this podcast that my husband's going over to do this versus both of us, and it's not because I don't want to be there. I have some major work-related events happening that collided with our Boat X Factory date, Murphy's Law, but I am planning to join him the last week he's there, and then we fly back together. He told me that he would be the nice guy and go over and try to get things done, and I could show up and be the bitch for any outstanding items. Thanks, honey. Glad you have a clear view of my assets and what I bring to the marriage. In next week's podcast, we continue the conversation about testing for water leaks throughout the boat, properly inspecting and setting up all the rigging, and he also shares his thoughts on what he's learned in this process and what he's most looking forward to. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another covert castaway. Fair winds for now. Oh, 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 oh,